and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. And we talk every week about the reality of running property businesses. Simon owns Bytelets and created Patma, a leading portfolio management software system and a source of property market insights. And Stuart runs a portfolio of co-living properties with a six-figure turnover. And don't forget, if you would like to receive the latest property market insights, as well as any other useful bits of uh, property information that we have available, please do use the link in the show notes to head over to our email Bop Tribe, and you'll be added to the uh, database and we'll, we'll start getting you out lots of useful bits of information. Now, today's show is going to be slightly different because we do have a guest today, and that guest is Adam Watson of Sullis Properties. And based on a request that we sent out a little while ago, Adam emailed us about some challenges that he's facing in his current property business that he runs with his partner, Karina. And before we get into some of that, it would be good, firstly, to say hello to Adam and also let him to give a bit of background. So hello, Adam. Welcome to the Business of Property. Thank you for having me. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Simon. You're very welcome. So would you like to just give us and the listener a little bit of background about uh, yourself, Karina and Silly's Properties? Yeah, of course I can. Yeah, thanks. So we've been investing in property for about three years now. So um, it was a bit of a, I guess, a, a cliche background in some ways, which is um, my parents were involved in property for a number of years. I kind of grew up bouncing between different houses and, uh, you know, doing kind of living flips and things like that. So I always had a bit of an interest and a bit of a, uh, it always sort of excited me a little bit. But we, we entered the corporate world. We both have sort of corporate jobs. And it wasn't until we uh, were close to buying our own property to live in in London that uh, COVID hit and we come, we, we pulled out of that house and we thought, well, maybe there's another way instead of the, the frighteningly high prices that we were paying and we're going to be paying in London and the, the amount of interest we were going to be paying even back three years ago on the, on the mortgage, we thought, well, maybe it's better to invest our money we had for a deposit in, in, in starting uh, something in property. So that first lockdown, we spent a couple of months just kind of really learning about property. So no like formal courses or anything, but listening to, to, to podcasts and reading books and things like that. And we realized actually maybe there is something in this. So um, we, we set up a, a limited company, Sudis Properties. And then by um, by June, when the first uh, first lockdown was over, we bought our first, our first property. And um, we invest in like the East Midlands, so kind of the Nottingham, Grantham, Lincoln area. Um, and yeah, we got going quite soon. I think the interest rate we got back there was was less than 3%, which is quite uh, quite nice compared to, compared to what we're looking at now. Um, but we, we, we got going and, and we bought our first basic buy to let. And then um, over the course of the, the, the subsequent couple of years, we've we've got uh, f- uh, five buy-to-lets in total, of which one we bought off market. So we did some, um, the first property we liked so much that we did a bit of a leaflet drop in the, the, the local area. And we got um, someone who'd kept our, our little handwritten leaflet for two years and then messaged us and said, that we're, in, we're selling, are you interested in buying? So we said, yeah, we absolutely will. So we, we bought, uh, bought one off, off market and then we're just buying one off plan as well. And we've also got one uh, HMO, which we've um, joint ventured with some, some some friends in Lincoln. So I think um, we kind of had one eye on the future of potentially wanting to look for for investors to, to, to get involved and provide the finance. So we thought, well, we'll joint venture where we provide the finance and just learn a little bit about being on that side of the fence. Um, so we've got, got an HMO as well. And, and we've done a couple of flips as well. So one, one flip in particular, we did quite soon after buying our first property 
property, which was successful. It was a bungalow flip um, in, the, in the Grantham area, and, and that went quite well. I think that was a good good um, opportunity for us to get our hands dirty, understand how, how things work, what we can do ourselves, what we can't do ourselves. And, and I thought I could kind of remove everything in the kitchen, and with by day two, I'd um, I'd sawn through a water pipe, and we had the an emergency plumber coming around. So it wasn't all plain sailing, but you, you learn a lot when you just get stuck in and get your hands dirty. So yeah, yeah, we're sitting on a, on a portfolio now as a couple of purchases going through, but we're, we're going to be sitting on a portfolio of of six buy to lets, basic buy to lets, sorry, five buy to lets and one HMO, so a portfolio of six. And we've kind of got to the point now where we've, I guess, run out of our own our own money. So we're still saving a little bit through our, our full-time jobs that we have, but that's, that's not really bringing in enough for us to buy any more than maybe kind of one buy to let a year. So we're looking to to still scale a little bit. Uh, we'll still want to scale. Um, and I guess it's just understanding and having a conversation with you guys around how what are our options in terms of how we can scale that investor finance is, is, is one way. But um, you know, I guess uh, you know, there's, there's lots of other options out there that would be good to discuss with you guys today. Okay. Well, before we get into that, I think it's we, we just need to put our foot on the ball, so to speak, and just acknowledge what's happened so far because there's a lot of information there. And also... You've done a lot in three years, and I imagine anyone listening that, that hasn't started would think six buy to lets and an HMO, and you've also mentioned flips, is quite a lot to have achieved in in such a short period of time. So we, we're just going to just understand a little bit more about that so far. So so you've, you currently own five buy to lets, and you're in the process of completing on a six one? That's correct, yeah. And I would think the listener is quite interested in terms of values of those sorts of properties what sort of values are we looking at um, so we're looking at roughly about 150,000 so the cheapest one we've bought is about 100,000 the most expensive is just under 200 so we found that's kind of a bit of a, a heartland which gives us a good return on capital um, especially in the area we're investing and the rent we can achieve the rent roughly in all those properties is between 750 and 900 so um, that provides a, a decent return return for us but Kind of, I'm, I've got a very sort of blue personality, so I'm all in the numbers and the detail. And actually, like we built a, a sort of business case at the uh, the beginning of, of of this kind of process of investing in property. And um, yeah, that, that we, we kind of realised that probably around 150 to 160 thousand with the rent we could achieve was kind of the the optimal price. Obviously, that changes with the interest rates going up a little bit now. But um, yeah, so that, that, that's kind of the range of properties that we look to invest in. I've got two, two quick, well, one quick question and one slightly longer one. So the quick question is, what type of properties are they? Sort of flats, houses, bungalows, that thing? So that we kind of focus on ones that are newer builds. So ones that have been built in the last kind of 10 to 15 years, because we found just like there's, there's much fewer problems with the properties and things like that. We've managed to find a couple of properties which are basically they're sort of net properties, but freehold. So um, you obviously haven't got all the costs with service charges and, and ground rent, but they're, they're small enough where you don't have too many issues. So we, we have got a bit of a variety. So we've got three sort of smaller one or two bed pro- uh, freehold properties. Then we do we did buy a sort of bigger four bed townhouse as our as our second purchase because we were thinking about going down the HMO route potentially in the future. So we bought a house that we could that would rent well as a as a house to a, to a family. But in the future, if we were looking to improve cash flow, we knew we could convert it into an HMO in the area we were buying. So um, yeah, a, a bit of a mix really, but um, all, all with a, a, a kind of purpose in mind for how it can help us grow the business going forward. Okay, so I, I think actually my second question. You, you've kind of preempted a little there, which was going to be around what you do with the properties, as in, do you buy them just sort of ready-made and ready to go as a buy-to-let, or do you look to then improve them and do refurbishments and that kind of thing? But it, it sounds like if you're buying fairly new ones, you're, you're going down the ready-made route. 
Yeah, it, so the ones that we, yeah, the yeah, majority of them have been just ones that are kind of ready made, ready to go. And I think, yeah, like I said, the first purchase was just to, to get us going, really. And we thought we, we did want to, we did want to look at properties that we could potentially renovate, but we didn't have, didn't really have the experience at the start to, 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 to want to, to want to get into that, which is why we looked at the, the joint venture. So the, 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 the HMO we do have, which was in the, the joint venture, that was one that we have done some work to and renovated uh, slightly just so we can learn a little bit from people who, who do this a, a lot more than we do. So we could gain a bit of experience. And on the back of that, we did our own uh, flip project. So I think going forward, it's definitely something we're, we're more interested in looking at is like how can we uh, how can we develop properties and add some value to properties as well so yeah that's something we're looking at more but I think we wanted a our original objective from getting into property which I didn't really touch on earlier was 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 quite long term so it was buying a sort of sustainable portfolio of properties which uh, you know by the time we're 50 so I'm 30 now so in, in 20 years time is is uh, you know allowing us to maybe retire retire early at that age rather than something which is necessarily about driving cash flow right now so we thought it was better to go and, and, and try and buy some sort of newer newer properties in that sense um, and when you have a little you know fortunate enough to have a little pot of money that we'd saved up for our, our London house deposit you know we, we we weren't really thinking about maybe two, three years down the line when we would run out of, of money, but we're at that point now. And suddenly, you know, the, the, the deposit for a, a, a new property, we need to make it work a bit harder. So, um, you know, looking at opportunities to, to, to add value, obviously, is something we're, we're keen to consider going forward. So in, in some past episodes, Stuart and I have talked about what it would take to replace a salary with, with various property strategies. And we've looked at, at HMOs and, and flips and, and also buy-to-lets. And buy-to-lets sort of came out as needing quite a lot of properties to actually sort of replace the salary. Did, did you in advance do that sort of projection and, and work out what you would, what you would need? We, yeah, we, we, we did. And it is, it is a significant number. And I think because we were looking over sort of a 20 year time horizon, we thought well, that's actually a number we can get. To. I think it was, it was over, over 20 properties. I think we'd need maybe 25 at, at the cash flow we were generating when interest rates were lower um, in order to, for us to kind of, I guess, replace incomes. But I think our, our objective has changed slightly um, in the sense of we, we, we went from kind of thinking, well, in, but it would be nice to retire by 50 to, to really getting stuck in over that first year in particular when we were investing in property to thinking, well, we can do this sooner, right? Maybe maybe Karina can can retire, you know, potentially in five years' time and I'll be out by the time I'm 40 and we were getting quite giddy with potential, the potential of property. But I think we've taken a, a slight step back now in, in, and, and potentially as we've sort of matured on our property journey and actually it's turned into... We both like working at the moment. It's good to have incomes anyway to support kind of mortgage applications and things like that. So actually, we're thinking it'd be nice just to rebalance the sort of work-life routine. So instead of just quitting our jobs, it'd be nice to both work four days a week or maybe it'd both be nice to work three days a week. So we're looking at our objectives now as how can we replace one day a week's worth of income every month to, uh, without reducing our, our our income overall, so how can property replace one day's worth of income every every week? And you know, that's that's the approach we're taking. I think you know from, from the three years we've been investing, we're both at a point now where the business is bringing in enough where we, we could probably both step down to, to four days a week and not see any any reduction in income, which is a great place to be. And we both enjoy working, so we're not looking to do that um, in the, in the near term. But that's kind of the way we're looking at it now: is how can we just kind of incrementally take more time off and rebalance balance our, our work social life yeah and it's you know it's a, it's an objective that many people have myself included when we start in property for me it was it was about flexibility but of course financial freedom is is what many of us are looking for but i think i think you know the first hurdle that you 
got to reminded me of an adage that I heard several years ago when I first started out that I hadn't quite got my head around, which was no matter how much money you have, it would always run out when it comes to property. And I I, I remember thinking, well, that can't possibly be true because I've got a million pounds. But of course, if you you had a million pounds, you'd be operating at a different level and that would soon too disappear. And unfortunately, at the moment, of course, because we know of all the, the different methodologies, stroke strategies that people you know, propound in the property world, you know, no money down and so on. It, people think that, that money lasts forever. But even when you're refinancing, in my experience and our experiences, that there is always money left on the table because banks just don't don't want to take all the risk. And we're seeing that change. So, so, just, so just to underscore, so you'd saved, you'd saved money for a property purchase that you were going to buy in London. And actually, you've been able to utilize those funds to go out and now get approximately six buy-to-lets and uh, and an HMO. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And it was, um, I, I guess, we, we, we during that process, you know, we we had a, you know enough for a deposit in London. It was, you know, it was it was just over like a hundred thousand pounds. And what we managed to do through the first purchase we made, we purchased just out of COVID, so we we refinanced that after two years and managed to managed to pull some money out because that was obviously a very fortunate time to buy it between 2020 and 2022 market prices were increasing quite a lot and also the, the, the flip the main flip that we've done also generated uh, a fairly significant sum of money so although we started with that that's sort of 100k figure we 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 managed to i guess make, make a bit of extra money through the, the properties that we we're investing in as well so the total amount that i guess we put into purchasing properties has, has been slightly higher but the the sort of you know the upfront capital that we put in was was around about 100 grand cool and then just a matter of um understanding are you buying these limited company we are they're all in our serious properties um company name yeah okay so you're buying them all in a limited company and then the final just really for the listeners benefit is understanding given that you're both still in full-time employment have you had any challenges getting borrowing because that that's something i often hear about because myself i you know I, I haven't had a job for a little while and that sometimes presents issues for borrowing i mean there's always roots but have you experienced any challenges obstacles buying through the limited company we, we haven't really and, and to be honest i might have a slight bit of ignorance here because i haven't purchased in my own name before because we only rent in london so i, I we still only rent in london so i've only purchased in a limited company but aside from paying slightly higher interest rates and obviously then having the sort of rigmarole around having to get personal guarantees and things like that i mean there's a bit more admin that's involved but we haven't had any any major problems we've got a, an excellent broker we've kind of one of the first things you learn when you talk to people about getting into property is get your, get your power team sorted. So you get a good broker and they, they sort of support you on that journey. So I wouldn't say we've had any um, any problems with getting getting mortgages to, to date at all. Just taking a tiny step back to your, your, your sort of story and progression so far, one element of that was a couple of flips, you said. And talking about a, a power team, you're you're doing these flips remotely, I think. So how have you found that sort of process? Have you used a, a local power team have you been commuting lots to do do the work on them yourselves or h- how has that worked for the flip projects so we, we originally chose the um like east midlands area because so that's where Kare- half of karina's family's from there so her mum's based in, in in grantham which gives us a good kind of base to to be and, and especially when we started in 2020 we were kind of in, a, in and out of lockdown the whole time so we just based ourselves a lot of the time in in, in grantham and we could uh, we could operate from there which was good so the the the, the, flip, the main flip that we've done it was a bungalow flip and it was about seven doors down from karina's mum so it was the absolute perfect first opportunity so we were we spent uh, the most of most of one summer based there uh, 
uh, going around doing as much work as we, we could ourselves there. But um, you still build, you know, the most important thing is just it's just networking and finding, you know, the right electrician, the right plumbers, the right plasterers and things like that. So we spent a lot of time kind of networking with um, you know, Karina's old school friends that might have used plumbers before and things like that, just to just to get that kind of power team. But we did spend most of our time close to the the, the projects that that we've done which obviously helps a lot i think we had we had one experience where the, there was there was one trade that was uh, that was in the the, the, pro- the property doing work whilst we were based in london and it, it was um, it was quite a stressful experience given that what they what they did wasn't necessarily exactly what we uh, what we were wanting them to do so it, it creates difficulties when when you're remote even if you do have local contacts like parents or whatever who can support it's never the same as being there yourself no definitely not just in terms of your selection of those properties and i think already we've got an understanding that uh you've done a lot of thinking more thinking than most uh back of my fag packet says currently your buy to let's uh gross yielding anywhere between five and ten percent that's even simple maths for me based on the numbers you've given us but is that something that you've that you look at so for example i always talk about the fact that for me with an hmo property if the gross yield is is not over 10 percent, it's generally not a property i'll even start looking at are that are those criteria that you've used for for your early property investing uh yeah it, it is i i think um that for me that's just it's, it's, a, it's a proxy about whether you know gross yield is something i'd look at just to have an indication as to whether it's something a property we want to even consider going forward with or even viewing net yield is something which is um, a bit bit more relevant but obviously a bit harder to calculate but the the main kpi that we would use is return on capital employed Uh, so we put all our all our all our kind of numbers through there all your costs as far as you can making estimations for things like you know maintenance and and, and, uh, letting agent fees we we outsource all the letting side of the the business to uh, local agents as well Um, and then we have a return on capital employed number that we we're, we're looking to achieve and that that's normally between kind of like three and eight percent that would be in the ballpark of what we'd be willing to consider so um, yeah that's that's the main metric that, that that we tend to use and kind of built little models which help um, help us do that in on an automated way and um, it kind of it allowed me as well to to understand you know based on the, the value of the property in the area we're looking at and um, the rent I know it probably can ascertain it's very easy to then just kind of know very quickly whether or not it's something you'd be looking to uh, looking to progress or not yeah and there was one thing when uh, when we when we read the background which made me smile because it's something I've done and you see a lot from people coming into property is aside from the fact that you've done a lot we've got buy to lets HMO we've got flips we've got off plan so there's a lot going on and this is someone I'm speaking to someone that was doing an HMO a flip project and a double uh, a house that we were extending to double the size at the same time. So, so I'm I'm talking to someone that can empathise greatly with this. But have you got to a stage where you have got a specific property investment strategy that you're thinking about? Because again, your 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 planning is quite long term. It is, and 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 you're right. I think um, as as I alluded to before, I think our objectives have obviously changed over the over the time. And and originally it was long term, so you know sustainable kind of fairly new properties that can add add add, uh, add add income in the in the longer term is what we were after. The HMO approach was was basically for us to learn, and it was during the period where maybe our objectives were shifting to. 
let's see if we can do this a bit quicker. And we're pivoting back, as I said, towards like, you know, a bit of a longer term strategy, maybe an incremental approach where we reduce the amount of days we work. So with, with that in mind, I think our, our, our current approach is we want to carry on building that that buy to let portfolio of like reasonably modern properties that that do rent rent well in, in decent areas with with, with strong um, opportunities for, for capital growth going forward. Um, and we know our heartland areas in these Midlands where we, we can achieve that. I think you know the, the the idea for us is to um, is to be able to generate chunks of money through through flips. And again, we have like a sort of flipping like heartland in in these Midlands as well, where we know, especially sort of bungalow flips, where we know how how those can work. Generate chunks of money that we can invest into our buy to let portfolio. So that's our current thinking: is how we how we build like a longer term buy to let portfolio. We're we're not we're not particularly interested in more time consuming strategies at this stage. We're, we're quite settled in London, and we're not really looking to move far from the, the London orbit. So I think going down the HMO route ourselves is, is probably not appropriate. So it's building something that we can uh, keep long term, outsource the, the management of, and, and it's just a case of how do we how do we generate that with uh, with with income that's not just from our our own um, corporate jobs. How are you finding flips at the moment in in the current market? Uh, I, I don't mean as in how are you looking for them. I mean. How are they looking financially and, and sort of as, as part of your business plan currently? I think I find it quite tough. So again, we, there's a lot of there's still a lot of opportunity. At the beginning of the year, the market went very very quiet, and the type of properties we were looking to buy and the area we were looking to buy, we just really weren't seeing anything at all coming on. Now we're seeing things come on, and people are uh, vendors are willing to to negotiate and willing to to talk about re- reduction in price. But I think the issue we're finding at the moment probably is when we're putting it through a business case, it's what's the what's the likely selling price going to be of the property done up? Because it's very difficult in a in a a slightly declining market or at least a market which is very uncertain to know you know what 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 will it sell sell out at the end and obviously that's one of the most important things to to consider so you know it's it's easy when the market's increasing because you can apply a slight uplift but even if there's no uplift you you you, you still are adding enough value whereas i can add value now and potentially still not see much uplift if the property declines in value over the next sort of five five months six months or so so that's probably the toughest exactly we're all um we're all experts in a rising market market (laughs) yeah exactly but it's interesting because i've only been investing for three years so it's the first time i'm going through a market which isn't rising so it does make the the challenge uh, we're learning a lot but the challenge is um, is quite tough to 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 know when to make that call and 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 work out a property for flip purposes is is worth the investment and an interesting point on that because Simon and I have talked about this in the past. But I, I purchased a property uh, as the time I believe, you know, but just before the two thousand and eight crash. And so, explicitly, have you done any research in terms of what would happen in that area if there were a decline in property prices and basically mitigating that? So, for example, looking at a ten percent reduction in let's call it GDV for the sake of argument, but your gross development value, have you looked at that? So, okay, right, does this work if it's going to be 10, 15, or whatever this local area could uh, look like in a year, two years' time? Not not specifically in the in the business case itself. I think what we always look to try and do is have a, a second or third exit, right? So, you know, we well, I'll always understand when we're looking for a flip project, well, what is the opportunity here if we were to just refinance it? Because we'd be buying a flip in in, uh, in well, looking going forward with investors to buy buying cash. So, what if we were to to refinance it? Is that an option? Or if we were just to rent this property and keep it for a couple of years, what's that that option look like? So, uh, I think um, we haven't necessarily 
inputted like a, a depreciating sort of scenario into our business case as such. But I'll certainly know from if I'm purchasing this property, I would have got quotes on what's the done up rental value and would that be enough to cover the, the costs from a mortgage or an investor perspective? Um, because that at least gives us a, another out in the medium term if we do need to hold on to it until the market improves. Yeah, so, so rather than looking at could you cope with a, a lower price, you're, you're looking at it from the point of view as if the prices drop, you'll just hold it instead or take another another approach. So, yeah. For the, for the sort of situation where you're finding you're running out of investment funds and you're now looking to external investors to, to come in, are you thinking they would help you potentially build the buy-to-let portfolio or are you thinking they would help towards flip-based projects? It'd be on the flip side. I think the, the buy-to-let portfolio, you know, the, the margins probably aren't really there for us to be sort of sharing the wealth at all with, with investors. I think it's more a case of how can we generate chunks of money like through the flips to invest ourselves in the buy-to-let portfolio under our, our limited company. So it would be very much investor funds to support purchasing cash, renovating a property, and then in scenario one, sell, selling that property and, and generating some, some some profit for ourselves to then buy our own buy-to-let. That's the approach we'd be looking to take. So we've moved on to investors then. So tell us a little bit more about your thoughts so far. So again, you've, you've hit that, that wall that we all hit where we go, oh, if I want to keep doing this, I need more money and I've run out of money. So what thoughts have you had so far on this? So I guess the, the, the first thing we were thinking about, and again, this is this is all through kind of just the research we've done speaking to, we've got a, a very good um, sort of uh, Nottingham property network as well, which is one of the areas we invest in, to, uh, asking a lot of people questions, reading all the, the books and listening to the podcast. It's like the, the first question is, do you want a joint venture with someone or do you want someone to angel angel finance, right? So you're looking just to uh, have a more transactional relationship where they get an, in, uh, some, an investor gets a, a rate of interest for a period of time, or are you looking to, to really sort of get into bed with them and, and, and set up a... A, a limited company or whatever it may be in, in the longer term and for us with our sort of more flipping strategy uh, with, with investors it's very much like we're looking at a, um, a fixed term period where we'll provide a, a rate of interest in, in that sense so um, that's that's really the, I guess the first thing is understanding what was our what was our strategy with investment and I think interest rates uh, fixed term interest rate is the way way we're looking to go and then it was a case of or reaching out to kind of your close network, your close colleagues, close friends, family and things and understanding, um, you know, once you start talking about possibility of investing, especially with, you know, the, the, the some of the successes we've had in the three years in property, people people have an interest and, and you realise people actually, there, there are people out there who do have a bit of money saved that they don't know what to do with, especially, you know, a couple of years ago where you were getting pretty much no no interest at all People in the, in the bank. People were more interested in looking for alternative ways to, to generate um, some return on their money. So we, we've had some... Some, some some people sort of put their hand up and say we'd we'd be interested to, to, to get involved and build like a, a small uh, prospectus as well, which kind of takes um, people through who are kind of new to property, takes them through what we'd be looking to do with their money, uh, and we've even had a contract drawn up where which um, obviously it's it's just um, written by our, our solicitor, which kind of makes sure that the whole thing is quite quite watertight and has all the the relevant legal terminology in it. So we've gone quite far down the line in terms of uh, I guess setting ourselves up for investment, and we've had a, you know a couple of people who 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 are uh, investing with us. But it's a case of how do we I guess scale that a, a bit more because you know we're, we're in a place where we want to buy a flip in our sort of heartland pricing of 150 to 200 grand. 
which requires quite a lot of money and people necessarily haven't got that level of, 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 of funds that they're willing to commit. So it's, it's how do we get multiple investors or people who are potentially a, a bit more high, high net worth individuals who, who can can fund the whole the whole projects. Uh, and that, that's kind of where we're at. So um, we're set up for it. We're just um, waiting for the demand to come in. I think I'll, I'll come back to your sort of question around investors or number of investors and, and approach there in a moment. But just looking at what you, you have done, you mentioned that you you were investors, as in you put the money into a project for, for the HMO that you, you have and you're involved in. How did that go? How did, how did they find you or did, did you find them to do, do the other half of it for you? And, and how is that structured and worked out? So it's... Um... So there's a it's, a it's a friend of Karina's or a couple who are a friend of Karina's who um, who invest in a, a particular area and they um they've they've been in the HMO space now for a, for a number of years so they that uh, they have the expertise and and the, she, she focuses on it full time as well so um it meant that we had the, someone who was dedicated to put the time in and the expertise and, and we were putting the funds in so we, we structured that one as a, a joint venture so we set up a, a separate limited company and we bought an HMO and it was very much like a long term play for us at that stage um, and it's it's doing really well for us it's uh, very low effort on our part which is exactly what we were expecting from it there haven't been any uh, there haven't been any sort of uh, issues at all in terms of the the the, the relationship between between us and and, and the other couple and it, it just sort of ticks over nicely for us so again something which is is, is cash flowing better than our, our buy to lets it's helped us learn a bit more about how uh, hmos work and the kind of costs that are involved in hmos um so it's it's helped us understand a new strategy and it, it's probably not something because of where we're based and the, the lack of time that we have with our jobs it's not look, something that we're necessarily looking to do ourselves as the as the experts with the time, but it's definitely um, something which has been really worthwhile to help our understanding of, of, of that, that that strategy, and um, it's something which you know, we, we hope is a is a long term approach um, with with the other party. To underscore what you've already done, so you, you talked about the fact that you're already in a uh, property investing network, Nottingham. You're clear on what you want, and in terms of the the type of investment, I whether it would be joint venture, you know, special purpose vehicle and so on. And I think, you know, that is probably three steps ahead where, of where a lot of people are because a lot of people know they want money, but they don't know specifically how. And also, you're already talking to people. So you've already got people interested. And your, your next question is around scaling that. And my, my sort of view on this is having done it for, for a while now is, and I've worked with all different types. So I've worked with people that have given me five figures, like 10,000, 50,000. And I've worked with people that have given me six figures plus. So my, my mindset now is very different is that if you want money, it's there. And that is, it's a very different mindset. And the, the other element I think that I've learned over time and, and having spoken with lots of other people as well is that, uh, and I'm not saying you're one of these, but is we often come into this uh, potential relationship as feeling like we're someone that's, that's coming out with a begging bowl. Uh, we need something. And actually, over the years, I've realized that the investors, so I've, I know I've worked with a couple of quite high net worth people, and they have a big problem, which we all want, but they have this problem, which is they've got quite a bit of money and they want to put it somewhere without just leaving it sitting in the bank or, you know, and they've done various other things. And that was a real shift for me to realise that I'm not taking, I'm giving. So the, the mindset is, 
actually, we're going to give you a really good rate of return. I mean, even now, because we know that the banks are, are, are very slow at adding the Bank of England rate to savings rates, uh, slower than they are to adding it to lending rates. And most people I've sp- spoken with are amenable to to whatever the rate is, let's let's just say it's eight to ten percent. So if you're offering eight to ten percent, there's going to be a lot of people who are very happy with that. In terms of going from a hundred to two hundred and so on, for me that's just a relationship building exercise. And the the great thing from your perspective, from Sully's Properties' perspective, you've already got such a huge amount of experience in the last three years of having done what you've done. So you so you can now go into a, a room and talk about what you've done and how you've done it. And essentially, the return is just what someone else is going to get. That they just need to know that you've got the, the, the credibility to do it. And then, for me, without simplifying it, it's just kissing as many different frogs as possible. There's a story that I always tell, which is I, I, I'm back end of 2017. I got around 250 thousand pounds worth of investment from a couple of different investors, and someone said to me, "Oh, that that happened really quickly. Happened in the last month." And because it all happened at once, it all happened in the month of November. But I said to him, yeah, but one of the guys, I was meeting him every month for a coffee for a year and a half. And I talked to him about so many different things that I was doing. And it was just the fact that at the end of the year and a half, he was finally confident in me because, you know, we can talk about having integrity, having values, and I will do what I say I'm going to do. But of course, there's 101,000 other people saying the same things that unfortunately don't do those things. So it's it's the credibility thing you know so as as boring as it sounds you're doing all the stuff that i would i would suggest to do which is actually just building that credibility and you know could you spread it across a couple of you know if you needed 100 200 well that could it be four people with 50 because 50 grand seems to be a very simple number for people to understand yeah i um that's, i agree and i think that's that's probably the mindset shift that we need to we need to do that you articulated it really well around um you know we, we're going to people saying we're not saying this but you kind of it, it's kind of um you know do, can you do us a favor by lending us some money to invest in property and actually that's not the right approach it's actually we've got an opportunity for you to get a better rate of return than you can get in the bank or, or, or wherever your money currently is. And I think that's a that's a mindset shift. And I think that just comes, hopefully that just comes as we feel more confident about the, the journey we've been on and the experience that we've got. So yeah, that's absolutely something that I think we probably need to 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 to, to shift our mindset with. And I think talk, talking to as many people as possible is something which I think even between Karina and I, we, we probably struggle with a little bit. Like I I, I I'm very passionate about property and like to talk to talk about it with as many people as you know, Karina's a little bit more like uh, I, I guess she's very modest and she doesn't want to bring it up so much especially not at work and things like that around the, the journey we've been on and I think it's funny when you start opening up about something like property people do say they they well I've got a little bit of money set aside or I've got a buy to let myself and things like that it's funny how many people either have an interest or have an investment in, in property itself and I think the final point around being um, coming across legitimate so we've, we've got an Instagram handle and um, I'm, I'm really bad at posting on it and I, I you know I, I should be I should probably be better on, on, on that than, than I am but I, I kind of see that as our property CV so what we do document on there is all the properties that we've purchased and um, we have a lot of pictures about the work that we've been doing and things like that I mean I don't use it to to generate interest the whole time but it does mean that it's, it's something to point people at um, and at least show that you know by the way we are we are legit. We've done a lot of projects. We've got our hands dirty. We've got experience, and that's the way I see it. It's something which is more like a, a CV than a than a always on social handle. 
Yeah, yeah. As you say, I think it's really good to have that sort of online proof, if you like, that you've you've been around for a while and you've you've been doing things and doing the right things. You mentioned that you you've got a, a really good Nottingham property network that you're part of, but I I wonder if perhaps you could also, and maybe you're doing this already, look at networking more local to yourselves in London, partly just because you'll find different people, but also because it's closer to you, so presumably it would be much easier for you to get to to be involved in. And then as well as property groups that you can go and network at, um, have you considered going to just local business networking groups as well? Because certainly and when I've attended those, as you say, you get talking to people and it's, it's amazing how many you find who have got a buy-to-let stashed over there and, and a, a, did a flip project last year and, and things like that. And you, just, you just don't expect it. But, but yeah, it's, it's all about just going out and finding more people and meeting them and chatting. Yeah, it's a really good point. We, we, haven't, we haven't gone down the sort of business networking route. One reason for that is because I try and bring it up in kind of like conversations through our, our work anyway. And so through through our the jobs that we both have, we have quite a, a wide reach in, in a couple of different industries. So I feel like we get a bit of that. But, that you know, we, we absolutely probably should be expanding, extending our reach within the London area. Um, I've been to one or two property networking and it does feel... It does feel very different doing that in London versus elsewhere because the market is is, is so different. I think it's more of a scale thing, to be honest. I feel like you know you feel almost a little bit inferior going to a a, a kind of London property network where, network meeting where they're talking about you know projects and you know uh, like returns which are, have an extra zero on compared to what, what we're doing. But I think um, it's probably something we should, we should be um, doing more of. I, I see our our kind of like investment life in in the East Midlands is very different to our kind of like London personal lives, but there's probably a bit more of a, a an, an interplay that we should be looking to to integrate, if not just to just to learn more than anything else. And the final point I would say on it is is given your kind of approach, your structured approach to everything else, is also thinking about who are the people that you're talking about now that are already interested in. And given what you've just said, well, okay, so our market is Grantham, it's Nottingham, these are the property values, and this is what we need. Who are the target investors? So we don't have to necessarily go down the avatar route. But ideally, so again, what I did was certain investors seem to want to work with me. And I thought, well, actually, why don't I just speak with those? Because they're the ones that seem so for me, it was, you know, we call them C-suite. So it was, you know, chief executives, it was CFOs, it was so on owners of businesses, usually between the age of 45 and 55, had children that were growing, and so on. So then we then I had a target. So then I knew kind of like who I was talking to and what they would want. And then actually the messaging was just really clear. And you've already talked about prospectors. And then once you know who you're talking to, so, so again, in another part of my business where I'm looking at, where I do basically a rent-to-rent side of the business, the people I deal with are always very similar. So for example, if you're talking about those people that have got pots of money, What's the biggest, most important thing to them? Usually security. They just want security. So if they're going to put 20, 30, 50 grand with you, I just need to know I'm going to get it back. It's my pet, you know, it's, I've been keeping it. You know, so, so again, just having an understanding of who your target investor is gets you really clear on your messaging to, you know, to, out w- within your prospectus and on all of your activity. Yeah, I think uh, we're probably a bit too broad brush at the moment. We have a prospectus for anybody who wants to invest with us. And it's funny, I do a lot of, in my, my day job, I do a lot of sort of segmentation and things like that, but I haven't even considered that in, in the property sense. So I think there's still a, a way to go for us to 
I guess, commercialize what we're trying to do in, in, in property. Uh, and there's, it's probably a, a good point around um, learnings you can take from your day job. If you have a commercial job, what are the what are the, the applications that you can bring into property? And I think segmenting the, the people that you're going after from an investment perspective is definitely a, a good shout. Yeah, and it's so funny because, you know, very, very similar. You know, I've done lots of things in marketing, data, segmentation, all, all of these. But for some reason, we come to a new sector like property. And we just think, yeah, let's just forget all of that even though most of it is still very highly relevant to what we're about to do. And so the second challenge then, as we just sort of get into the final straight of this conversation, was around your flip properties. So do you just want to tell us what your sort of challenge is around that? Yeah, I think um, it's probably, again, it's one that we we understand what we're we're going after. And I think we've we've probably covered it with one of Simon's questions before around um, it's probably having the confidence in knowing what the the end value of some of the properties would be. So we, 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 we kind of... We, we have a heartland of kind of bungalow flips and we know exactly how they work. We know exactly the, the, the price we're looking to pay and, and the kind of work that's, that's needed. Uh, and we know those kind of projects uh, tend to sell sell pretty well and they tend to also have uh, a fair amount of demand just because you know people are not building bungalows anymore, right? So there's an older demographic who maybe are slightly less sensitive to the current kind of macroeconomic conditions. So we find that's probably a, a, a slightly less risky type of property to invest in versus others so i think we understand what we what we what we like to invest in uh, the main issue has just been having the, really having the confidence in the numbers that we're we're putting forward it, when we're using our own money if we if we if we mess it up we're only you know messing up the money that we have as i think it's the confidence when it's someone else's money that you really want to make sure that uh, as far as you can that you're, you're you're putting together a business case which de-risks their money as much as possible um, so the type of property i think is fine it's more just having the confidence to to to, to know that we're, we're not going to do anything awful <laughs> yeah I, my my quick tip on this and we've talked about this many times on the podcast so i, I bought a flip in october 2019 supposed to be a six-month flip i still own that property because we we still can't get rid of it at the moment because of external wall survey issues, but that's another that's another topic. So we've already touched on the fact that you know if the worst is to happen, can you live with that? And you've already talked about multiple exits, and that is one of the key tools of a property investor. Is like for me, is always having two or three different routes out. But of we're now talking about investors. For me, in my situation, I am not luck. Well, I am lucky but I've developed a relationship with an investor where this worst case scenario, so he gave me some money, which was going to be for 12 months maximum. It's now three and a half years. And, you know, we're not talking about an insignificant amount of money. We're talking about, you know, it's six, it's a good six figure sum because this property is in London. However, we had to get that stuff out on the table very early on. So, okay, look, this is a flip. This is my plan. Here's my presentation about why we, why this is going to be great. And this is why it's all going to happen within 11 months. However, if it doesn't happen, can, can you live with the fact that we might have to hold on to it? You know, these are the things we're going to mitigate. Now, the truth of the story is because he trusts me, it was all fine. And, of course, he's still earning interest on that money. You know, so when we do eventually sell this property, I don't think I will have made any money. However, I'll have learned a bloody lot, <laughs> a lot about investing. Um, so for me, that, that was a key one. It's just if you're going to use investor funds, it's like this is all the great stuff. But I think any investor worth their salt really wants to know what happens if it goes wrong. And it's the plan for that. 
Yeah, and I think um, you know, ultimately, yeah, it sounds like it's, it's about being upfront about the possible downsides and no investment is completely risk-free and property is the same. So I probably just need to have more confidence that, you know, that investors will be willing to have a dialogue if things don't go completely to, to, to plan, then you know, as long as they're still getting their money back at the end of it and, and a return in the, in the, the interim, then um, it's not necessarily the end of the world. It's, um, it's uh, probably something you just need to be more, more conscious of that you know, if things don't go plain sailing, that's not that's not necessarily a, a major problem. Yeah, and, you, and you've talked about that. And like, I, I don't know many investors, depending on the value. I mean, if you're talking about 10K, 20K, maybe not. But if we're talking 50Ks plus, I don't know many investors that aren't going to start talking to you about first charges, personal guarantees, etc. So they're already planning for that. They know. It. And I, I kind of partially blame the, the property marketing industry because we know that, you know, they're, they're so keen to pump all the positive messages of you know replacing your salary in six months and so on that we think that you know it's all sunshine and rainbows in property land whereas actually you know investors and ourselves know anyone that's been in in property for more than six months knows that that you know there are going to be massive challenges ahead so we have to prep for that And, and most investors i know are planning to lose money like this investor i know and he's never told me this explicitly but when i look at his spreadsheets i pretty much know that essentially he's got half of his investment back through the interest I've given him. So I think from his perspective, okay, I've now got half a risk that I had. I want my money back plus the interest still, but actually if Stuart goes belly up and his company disappears, my risk has just reduced. So all it really is is taking that. And of course, you're going to go out there and be as confident as you are and about how successful it's going to be. But actually, this is what would happen. We'd probably have to hold on to a property for one or two years. But actually, hey, we'd pay you the um, we, we'd pay you any profit from the from the rent. We don't make money, but you're you're going to be satisfied for you know, 24 months. And, then, and and it's just I think, uh, you know, Simon and I talk about this a bit. But, you know, you talk about the you, you have the divorce conversation before you get married, because that way you're both in a good frame of mind rather than if it starts going wrong to start have a difficult conversation which feels a bit awkward at least you know you've you've planned for it in your loan agreements and and whatever else yeah i think that's a really important point to to not miss when you are setting up a joint venture so you know the joint venture we we've done on the hmo you had we had a lot of very awkward conversations up front about well what if this happened what if this happened and i think it puts us in a much stronger position now to know that if problems were to occur we are, first of all, watertight from a contractual perspective, but we've, be, we've been through those scenarios. We know what will happen in those instances, which takes a lot of stress away. So it is really important to have those conversations up front. Um, and I guess also just to have those scenarios that we talked about previously. So if, if scenario one doesn't work and the outcome from a, a, a flip or, or, or a project doesn't work, then, then what is plan B? What is plan C to make sure that investor has as smooth a ride as possible in receiving the, the, the interest and, and getting their money back at the end of a, a period of time? Yeah. And my experience is that when those things do happen, because they will happen, is you, you come out of those relationships even stronger. So. And again, I think it's the difference. It's the difference between thinking transactionally and relation. You know, thinking about relationships. And it's interesting. I have an investor that was very clear up front. He didn't. He said, "I don't want equity in your business. I don't want a JV. I don't want a special purpose. I don't want any of that. I just want to give you some money, and I just want some interest because that's all I want." And again, we were very clear on that front, and that worked for me. So it's being clear on what both parties want because people might think, "Oh, I might need to set up a special purpose vehicle for this," because you think that because. 
a property course has told us that that's the right thing to do. And then you, you go into that and then that makes things a lot more complicated. So it's, it's about understanding, as you do, but speaking to the listeners, it's about understanding what what you want from the far side of the equation. Because now I, will, I am less inclined to work with a, an investor that says, yeah, I, I want X percentage of your next project. Because I know that I don't have to go down that route if I don't want to. So I, I can go to someone that doesn't. Whereas at the start, we might think we've just, whatever the investor says has to happen when that's not necessarily the case. So in terms of your, your, your challenges, Adam, was there anything else in terms of this podcast that you, you were thinking about or, or any key learnings, actually, that you might want to share with the Business of Property listeners? Um, I, th- I think not necessarily um, extra things to cover. I think you know it's all about you know how, how can you continue to scale when you've when you've kind of spent your, your own money. And I think it's, it's a good conversation just around um, how to how to target investors and how to sort of segment who you, who you're going after. And just having, I guess, it's having the, the confidence. And it's difficult to to have confidence if you haven't got the experience. But to have confidence if you've got a, a sort of proposition for for, for investors, then uh, you know knowing that you know they're 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 after somewhere to put their money as well. You know, it's not just a case that they're doing you a favour. It's having the confidence to be like, we we can do you a favour. We can do something better than than the banks. But um, I think in terms of like. Uh, learnings from our perspective like I, I wouldn't have any confidence whatsoever reaching out to investors if we hadn't been through uh, the journey we've been through already ourselves so I think where possible it's really important to to get that bit of experience and yes starting off with just a basic buy to let to understand the the, the, the process of, of purchasing but then you know trying to trying to do a flip if you can and getting your hands dirty and and, and learning you know that you shouldn't soar through water pipes and things like that you know it's, it's, it's all it's all important learnings that you should you should try and go on before because as I said before, like you build that that property CV, and it, it does legitimise you in the eyes of investors. And if we hadn't had that experience, then you know we wouldn't have had the you know, albeit limited investment to this to this point so far, we wouldn't we wouldn't have had that. So I think as getting as much experience as you can, either directly with your own funds or or through you know joint venturing with with, with others who um, who've got more experience is you know an important first step to make before you look to go down this route of um, third party investment. That's fantastic, Adam. And uh, I think that's a really good point for us to to finish and wrap up just to talk about the fact that you, you've you've mentioned taking action. And I think I think that is one of the key elements that sometimes gets missed from people. And I've worked with people that did a number of courses. And again, education is really important, but, but so is informed action. And, you know, like you said, you can JV, you've talked about you have actually been on both sides of the equation you've you've done the doing and you've also provided the funding so that is action that is real direct learning and my experience is that that will teach you will teach people more than than reading for days i mean i'm an experiential learner so i i like to do rather than read but equally i understand the importance of knowing some things before you walk into them but that's great so we wish you the best of luck, Adam, and uh, to Karina as well in terms of Sulis Properties. And, um, you know, just, just keep, keep doing the great work. You've, you've made amazing progress so far. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. And we look forward to keeping an eye on your journey going forward. Thanks for having me on. And for everyone else that's listening, hope you've enjoyed that. Please do let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter at B-I-Z of Property. That's at B-I-Z of Property. And if you'd like to reach out to Adam, Karina, or see his Instagram page that he's mentioned on the show, just look at the links below in the show notes page and click there and it'll take you straight to it. Other than that, we shall see you on the next episode.